While Collins, Barton, Duggan and Childers returned to Dublin, Griffith remained in London. There he met Lloyd George on the night of November 12th. Lloyd George read Griffith the content of the letter he had sent to James Craig two days previously. The letter essentially gave Craig a choice. He could remain within the UK subject to its war debt and necessitating the imposition of a customs barrier with the rest of Ireland, or he could join the rest of Ireland as a dominion while retaining the local autonomy of the Government of Ireland Act along with any other safeguards that might be agreed. Craig replied that the Ulster Unionists had already accepted a partition parliament and would not discuss the matter any further unless the idea of an all-Ireland parliament was permanently withdrawn. He also opined that Northern Ireland should be granted dominion status if the rest of Ireland were to attain it. Lloyd George told Griffith that he would refuse Craig's request for dominion status and instead offer an all-Ireland parliament leaving Northern Ireland the right to vote itself out of such an arrangement within 12 months. Should they do so, Lloyd George would summon a boundary commission and the Northern Territory remaining after the deliberation of such a commission would be subject to financial burdens proportionately equal with those of England. He expected that Craig would dismiss this approach and implied that he would summon the Westminster Parliament to downface Ulster and enact an all-Ireland Parliament, and if it failed to do so, he would dissolve it. He asked that Griffith not allow his delegation to cut the ground from under his feet by repudiating a boundary commission. Griffith stated that he could not guarantee the support of his colleagues for Lloyd George's scheme, but that he would guarantee that nobody would decry a boundary commission while the Prime Minister sought to use it against Craig. He signed a memo to that effect the next day. Back in Dublin, Barton, Duggan and Childers again tried to get de Valera to change tactics and rein in the Collins and Griffith sub-conferences. De Valera refused to return to London with them when Barton suggested that he should. It was his view that the President should be retained as a trump card until or if negotiations broke down. Collins was caught up in this series of meetings. He was apparently worried by Brewer and the Valera's attempts to organise a rapidly expanding IRA on more democratic lines. Such a reorganisation would make the army less subordinate to him. Curiously, though, he informed the cabinet that there could be no settlement on the lines of Dominion Home Rule. He also met one of the British Undersecretaries of State and confided in him that he thought there was an element of bluff in Ulster's position and that a modus vivendi would be found. Perhaps he still wished to play his cards close to his chest on the Dominion question. His private life was also under strain, and that morning he had written to Kiernan, informing her of his disappointment at their geographical remove. Kitty darling, very sorry you were not able to travel. It was out of the question for me to go down as I have a series of very important meetings today. It's very, very sad. I suppose you are more or less alone, or have you gone to Belfast? Perhaps you have. It's lucky for these people who can get away, isn't it? Garrod has gone there. I'm just scribbling this note very hurriedly. Had a Turkish bath early in the morning, then breakfast, and now this before going to my first meeting. We'll try to write you a proper letter tomorrow. You'll excuse this class of production, but in the circumstances you'll understand. Fondest love, Michal. He did not return to London until Tuesday, November 15th. When he got there, he found three of Kiernan's letters unanswered. In his reply, he was quite compassionate in addressing her fears regarding his commitment to her. Kit, dearest, this morning on my return, I found your three letters waiting for me. 
They were very welcome indeed after my journey back, and instead of going to bed, of course, I read them, and I've read them more than once. They were very nice, and it was just lovely of you to do that double one on Thursday. If I wrote to you in the same way, you'd say I did it because I had nothing else to do. Alone, sad, etc. That's that, most very distinctly. Why, oh why, is that reproach of yours running through them all? You should not even give your mind to those fancies. If one broods over a thing, one is very likely to give it an importance it doesn't deserve, and a doubt cultivated is apt to flourish exceedingly. Please, please do put them out of your mind. You know I was called back specially from Ireland last night. I'd nearly wired you asking you to come up on the night train. Lucky I didn't, for I'd have had to come in any case and then you'd have found fault, now wouldn't you? And you'd have said I could have stayed if I liked, and I know you'll be saying I could write you a long letter today if I liked. But I couldn't. Mr. G is waiting for me and so will the other G. But I do hope to write a great length in the morning and reply to all your points. One thing about H. What you call storming is just what I call unfair. And it is so, if I am right. He tried to get every advocate. Tried to show that it was so, whether it was or not. I feel sometimes like saying a strange thing about it. I'll tell you sometime what it is. Of no importance, though. Hope you got the tattler and sketch and that they weren't very late. And here's the thing. The tattler asked me to give them a sitting. What do you think of that now? Was very glad of all your letters. But I'm sorry, very, that you think or feel I'm cold. It is not that and I'm sure you don't think it is. Not really. Goodbye for today. I'd write you several times if I could. But you won't realise what I have on hand. With all my love, M. In 1921, few could have realised what Collins had on hand.